Welcome to the latest episode of the Will Work for Purpose podcast. Today I'm not joined by any guest, it's just me talking. Uh, and I've decided to speak on the topic of self-help. It's been getting a lot of traction lately, it's a very popular topic, and there aren't a lot of criticisms of it out there. So I kind of uh, talk about the dangers of self-help and the misconceptions of self-help and self-development, as well as the state of morality in our current society. So without further ado, here is the latest episode of the Will Work for Purpose podcast. episode again today uh, but I still wanted to publish something all of my guests are scheduled for further out so next week we'll return to the sort of interview format uh, where it'll be me and someone else uh, talking uh, for about an hour about uh, whatever the topic of the conversation might be um, but for right now it's just going to be me and uh, I decided to pick a different topic this time uh, as opposed to logotherapy which is what I talked about in the last episode and if anyone wants me to go over some of the things I talked about there in more depth, uh, you can definitely let me know uh, via email or wherever you're watching. You can just comment uh, comment if that's an option. Um, but I chose a different topic for today because it's something that I've seen a lot of uh, recently. And it's, it's uh, that whole self-help movement, self-care movement, self-love, self-improvement, development, help, self-help, like self and pretty much any other kind of like word verb or noun attached to it pretty much um it's part of this movement and in large part i think that it's it's so popular because it kind of in in a lot of ways uh, in a lot of the wrong ways it's um sort of frees you from your responsibility like what's what circles a lot is sort of um just be yourself, just be more of what you are, you know, and in many cases that doesn't, that's not very helpful for people, contrary to the title of self-help, you know, in many cases it's, that's counterproductive because they feel terrible about who they are, you know, and it doesn't help them to say be more of that thing because they feel terrible, you know, just in being that thing, so maybe something needs to change, Uh, and in many cases, like, simply just um, telling people they're perfect the way they are doesn't help them because they don't feel perfect, you know, they don't feel, they feel like something is wrong, you know, and if you just kind of gloss over it, brush it under the rug, then there's no way to um, enact change or become different or stifle those feelings because those feelings will still be there. You'll just feel like you're not valid for having them. Um, because if you feel like there's something wrong with you, there oftentimes is, you know, because it's likely that other people had recognized it before you recognized it. Um, and so by the time that you recognize it, it must really be a problem. You know, like if you're uh, greedy or you're nitpicky or you have to always be right or you always argue or you... Um, 
or condescending, mean, cruel, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, those are negative traits that people can have. And to tell people to just actualize them to a greater degree doesn't help them, you know, it makes people like them less. So people will say, well, you know, I've been reading a lot of self-help books and self-improvement books, but nothing is changing in my life, you know, like, people still don't like me, I still, you know, can't quit my job, whatever that may be. And so it's like they need something different, you know, and I think like um, true self-help, you know, I don't think like, I think there's pop self-help and then there's like legitimate ways to help yourself, you know. And so like one of those would be like therapy. Um, therapy is like uh, a real if it's done right. Now, some therapists don't uh, they, they kind of run this popular route where they just want people to. Uh, accept themselves for who they are and in many cases that is what needs to happen and the distress or disruption in their um, mental life is due to their inability to accept themselves for who they are because it's entirely possible that in many like that uh, the person who feels this way who feels like they're uh, unlovable unlikable um, whatever the feeling may be in some cases um there's not any real reason for them to feel that way about themselves. In some cases, like, um, for instance, there's this um, disorder called imposter, impo imposter syndrome, where someone who experiences a large amount of success feels like they're faking it. It doesn't feel like they should be here or should be there, um, and they shouldn't have the success that they have. And so while they actually do because they put in the work, they did all the right things, they, you know, they went through the proper channels and they achieved success. And so it's like a, um, a false sense of like they're, they're a failure, they're just faking it. Like um, people are going to find out one day how much of a failure I am, how much I don't know, how, you know, how little I worked or whatever it may be. And they're afraid of being found out. And in that case, um, seeing themselves for who they actually are would sort of fix that, you know, like understanding that they actually do deserve the victory they won. You know, they got the Ph.D. not because, you know, several layers of chance and luck, but because, you know, they overcame adversity, they stuck through their degree program, they wrote the right papers, they talked to the right mentors, they, you know, they did all these things. And... Um, and they were able to succeed in that way, um, but 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 like I'd mentioned, like there are a great many people that um, that have things wrong with them, and and you, you most notice, like you can most notably notice this on um, like Facebook. Like there are people who I've seen who post things about loving themselves, who I know for a fact have character defects that, um, in many cases, make them uh, like all those things that they think they are like they're like oh you know people uh, treat me poorly and it's like well in reality they they treat people poorly and it's sort of just reflected back on them like if you're rude and you snub people and you push them down and you condescend to them and then um, they react by maybe being cold to you or not asking you you know to hang out or whatever like I would say in some sense that might be an appropriate response, but you may perceive that as being um, as being mean towards you or whatever. And it's like, 
totally devoid of the context in which you put them in. You know, like if you had recognized what you had done to them, you may be like, you may be thinking, well, they actually responded uh, quite res respectfully given how I treated them, you know. And in many cases, people don't really recognize how they're treating other people, you know. It's very difficult to always pull yourself under that level of scrutiny to make sure that you're not um, causing more harm than not, you know. And it's important, like, in your interpersonal relationships, always be examining yourself. You don't want to be, uh, you know, going around and, and bashing people over the head and assuming that you're God's gift to earth when in reality you're, you're you know, you're more like the devil than anything else, you know. And so I, I think that for whatever reason, in large part, the um, self-help movement on <clears throat> on social media has taken this narrative and run with it. They say, you know, oh, just just be more of yourself, just love yourself, just care for yourself, just, um, you know, it'll all work out. Like, uh, your new blessings are coming for you. It's like, mm, you know, there's no there's not no reason to believe any of that. You know, there's no reason, one, to believe that things will get better or that blessings are coming towards you or that um, you you should just love yourself and you don't have to change anything about yourself. Like, there's no reason, like, until you have reason to believe that, you should act as if um, everything about you needs to be changed. And that may be unhealthy to always go on cutting yourself up and changing yourself um, because there there are of course cases in which are there are characteristics and ways of being that don't need to be changed edited etc but like I said I, I don't know that there's anybody uh, living who doesn't have at least one character defect that's impeding on their life uh, satisfaction uh, or their relationship building um, skills you know so um, it's just one of those things that I don't see being said a lot. Like I don't, I don't see people um, talking about uh, pushing others to legitimately develop their them, themselves. You know, I see a lot of people sort of looking to patronize them or just give them comfort, make them feel better about themselves. And it's like you can make someone feel better about themselves, but it's like that has uh, sort of a ripple effect into the future, you know, like, oh, you know, I didn't even know that I was a, such a jerk because Sally, Sue, and Sarah all said that I was really great and that I didn't need to do anything different, that, you know, they love me just the way I am and whatever. Like, it's like, um, yes, someone can love you the way you are, but they don't love you because of your imperfections. Typically, it's in spite of your imperfections. It's not the case that they say, oh, I really love Josh because he uh, puts me down and always demeans me and, and calls me names. It's like, no, you, you may love Josh because he's your son and he, he may not be lovable, but you don't love him because he's lovable, but rather because you are loving, you know, um, and, it, and so you don't, it, it, the love is less in the person and more in the person giving the love or sorry it's less in the individual being loved and more and and more um from the person loving you know and so it's like you you and you can love yourself in the same way it's like 
if I love myself, it's not that I want to appease all my horrible actions. It's more that I want the best for myself in any given circumstance. I want to increase my overall general well-being, you know. Um, and so that's like, um, I don't. I just don't see that narrative being pushed at all. You know, I, I think people find that uncomfortable. And, and I don't really know where it arose from or why it really kind of started. Um, I guess maybe it has something to do, like, there's been a, a, a steady degradation of, like, uh, moral values and um, education and, um, like, it, I don't really know what to call it other than, like, uh, an adherence to facts or something like that. But, but, but overall, like, I guess I can run with the moral degradation piece where, you know, over the past, well, really, I guess, so long as humanity has existed, there's been like moral failures, moral, moral quandaries. Like typically it's not that the case that one generation has something and another generation doesn't you know it's not the case that the 1750s were more morally good than the 2020s you know so it's just really a, a difference in flavor and i think the flavor of our times is this appeasement of all immoral action you know so it's like the the scope for um evil is widening and widening or the scope for accepted evil is widening and widening like uh, with each year, more and more um, actions which were previously thought to be um, morally reprehensible are in steadily becoming less so. You know, uh, so in such um, to such a degree that like um, there was a, a Netflix debacle. Uh, I guess it was a few months ago now with the movie um, Cuties, which had some like pedophilic undertones and sometimes overtones actually um and so like the fact that people thought it might be okay to publish something like that uh, to a streaming service which you know millions and millions of people use uh kind of shows how far the needle has been moved even like in the mainstream like there are fringe societies which are doing far things that are far worse that they would consider acceptable like but but for the mainstream to have um, dissolved so much for such a movie to be published um, really speaks to this idea of moral degradation, you know. And I think that this idea that um, you don't have to change anything about you um, kind of stems from this lack of understanding about morality and ethics, you know. Um, I had heard that, uh, I, and whether the story is true, I don't know, um, but... It, and it may just be, and it is an anecdote, but uh, it kind of serves the point. Um, there was a school who stopped teaching ethics to their um, business students. They said, our business students are just going to do um, math, reading, and then business classes, and they're not going to take any ethics. They're not going to take any, like, uh, humanities or anything like that outside of, like, the English class that, they, that they're um, required to take or whatever. And then as a result, uh, people um, did a study on them and they found, um, and like I said, I don't know how true this is. I had just heard this story elsewhere, but 
they found that their students were growing up to be crooks, um, so they would graduate and then end up in programs scamming other people, businesses that were very shady or doing, you know, obviously illegal things, skimming money off the top or selling, you know, faulty products or whatever, and they couldn't figure out why. But of course, it has to do with the lack of ethics being taught. Um, and you might have heard that like your morals or your values come from your parents. And to some degree, that's true. Like what you value does largely depend on the culture and environment that you grow up in. If I grew up in the Sudan, I may value different things than if I grew up in Wisconsin. You know, so it, it does depend a lot on where you're from, but not completely. You know, there are certain values that transcend time and space uh, and culture, you know. So some of those things may be like respect your elders um, or um, honor. That's a better one. I think all con um, all communities throughout all time held honor in some esteem. How they honored people or how they, what the actual outworking or actualization of honor was or, um, or is, uh, differed widely given on the social context, um, the time, whatever, you know, like all those other variables played in on it. But it initially, like, it, does, it doesn't change the fact that honor itself is a thing being valued, you know. Um, I, I heard, I, there was a funny joke taught by an ethics professor. He said, um, cultures, uh, there, there are different cultures. One uh, they both teach respect your elders. One respects granny by bringing her a tray of cookies. Um, the other respects granny by eating her when she's dead. You know, it's like it. And obviously those are very different and drastic outworkings of that idea of respecting your elders. But the point that that like one central tenant still lies in it um, speaks to some universality of the moral code. And so... Um, and, and uh, like, there's also this idea of the conscience or having a conscience, like, you you know, like, oh, I can't do that because, like, that little voice in my head is telling me not to do it. And so a lot of people tend to think that uh, morality isn't taught. It's just inherent to all people. And so my point in, in uh, kind of the examples I've previously given is that it's, it's a bit of both. It's both taught and not taught. It's both in, uh, inherent and then external like there um it, it it goes both ways you know like or it requires the integration of both like um there are biological factors for morality there are um, metaphysical spiritual religious uh, religious um factors for morality uh, philosophical um uh, psychological reasons like um there's sort of a multiplicity of variables working in on it and i think a lot of um the uh, disrepair of our morals has come from this idea of we've sort of lost the what would be called the ontology of our morality so ontology is sort of like the basis of like if you say why should i be moral that's an ontological question or a foundational question and i think you need a moral ontology to be moral otherwise whenever you whenever the rubber meets the road you have no reason to be moral. And uh, and it's important to always maintain a reason for your morality, you know, because um, 
it, it can, there, there's, there's obviously, there can be breakdowns in that, you know? So if you began with like the idea that, um, I'm all, I'm, I'm never going to do anything that I would consider cruel or mean to another person. It's like, okay, that may hold up for a while, but then all of a sudden you may start questioning that. You may think, well, why can't I knock Sally down? Because she pushed Sue and Sally has a, a, a $50 bill that I really want. And who would really care if I pushed her down? Everyone hates her anyways. Um, I might even get applause by pushing her down. It's like you can very easily see if this principle isn't grounded somewhere else other than like your own subjective or personal um, thoughts, feelings, and opinions. Like you can very easily dissolve it, essentially. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're not only are you pushing Sally down, uh, you're also going to push Sue down, Jeff, um, Steve. You're going to just go around pushing everyone down because, well, you've steadily whittled down um, the reason uh, behind your moral code, essentially, which is don't do anything mean or don't push people down. But once you push that first person down, it's like, well, wait, why can't I just extend that umbrella just a little bit further and just a little bit further and just a little bit further? Um, and then all of a sudden you end up right where you're at, which, which right now is um, people are aimless, people don't People are being told that they're, um, everything they're doing is morally acceptable or good, um, whether it is or isn't. Um, I think that in some sense, like the proof is in the pudding. Um, we, can, we can know the fruit of the endeavor um, or we can know them by their fruits. You know? So it's like we can understand what is good and isn't good based on what it precipitates or what it generates. You know? A bad tree will generate bad fruit. And a bad moral code will generate aimless, immoral, sad people, you know, which is what I think is happening. Um, because people don't have a, a guiding ethic. They don't have a something to follow, a path to walk down, like that gives them direction and guidance and helps them understand what actions they need to bring under repair and what actions that they should do more of and like... Because whenever you whenever you dissolve the bad, like whenever you say, oh, nothing is bad, uh, if you desire it, you can have it, you know, like, then you also do um, disservice to the good. Uh, because um, once all bad things or once all immoral things fall into the same heading as moral things, like, then you can actualize all of them with equal certainty, you know. And that's incredibly problematic because there are things that we know obviously are more moral than other things, you know. But if you bring everything under the same heading, then it sort of, um, it dissolves the whole enterprise and sort of um, makes it impossible to do, to progress at all, you know. And so that idea of self-help or self-improvement, um, improvement implies a standard you're working towards, if either the standard is always shifting, uh, that is like in the case of, I'll use uh, painting a room. If your goal is to paint the room blue, um, then it it's no good to say after having painted the room mostly blue, oh, actually, I want to paint it green. No, no, I want to paint, and then you start painting green, and then you say, oh, no, actually, I, I want purple, and then you start painting purple. It's like you can never... 
you can never reach the goal and your all of your progress is actually regressive because it's moving you in a direction that is not towards the goal it's moving away from the goal like painting a room green when you wanted purple is not moving any closer to painting the room purple you know if you want to be a, a, a an improved person or an improved self it does no good to say one day that feeding um, hungry children is good and then the next day is saying that um, burning people and buildings is good you know like now the the swing isn't so drastic but in reality it is um, like a, maybe a more real example would have been something like today it's good to um, give everything I have to the poor tomorrow it's good to take everything from the poor or it's good to only focus on myself and no one else, you know. And so the constant shifting of morals is uh, sort of this uh, attempt to make all moral progress impossible. You can't move towards a goal if the goal keeps moving. And sometimes that goal happens to move behind you. If your goal is to paint a house and you want to paint that house a certain color, you can't keep changing the goal. Like if you wanted to paint your house blue, you can't say... Now that you're halfway done painting it blue, I want to paint it green. It nullifies all past progress and essentially makes it regressive, not progressive. And that's sort of what's happening, especially like I think this self-help movement is sort of one part or one cog of this greater um, push to sort of blend all of society down into sort of one amorphous blob. Um, with the steady degradation of moral values um, that is creating a society which is ubiquitous, all accepting, uh, all actions are equally valid, equally acceptable, there are no bad behaviors, uh, there are no bad choices, you are just as you are and you don't need to change yourself, you don't need to change your actions, you don't need to change anything about who you are, what you do. Um, I think that sort of mentality will ultimately lead to the uh, complete um, and utter desecration, dissolution of our society. Now, I don't want to be catastrophic. I don't think that tomorrow we're going to wake up and all of Western society will be on fire, uh, much to the dismay of many people who'd like to see it burn. I think that it will be a, a, a steady push. There'll be a steady downhill spiral. And you can kind of see the precipitation of that a little bit with the advent of videos like Cuties being released. And Cuties was, if you don't know, um, this debacle that Netflix had where they released pedophilic content, basically, or content that could be construed in pedophilic ways or terms, uh, which is abhorrent and anything nearing or approximating such behavior is uh, a clear sign that our moral values are dissolving. And uh, the more they dissolve, the worse these things will get. And that, that, that video was dropped in the mainstream, it was dropped to a streaming service to millions and millions of people. You know, so if, if a company is so bold as to release content uh, with such material in it uh, to the mainstream, you can only imagine what's happening you know, behind locked doors and in more private settings. I think that though all times have had moral quandaries and issues, I, I think that our society, society has this distinct uh, mark that uh, it will have only one moral transgression, and that is to uh, be unkind towards moral transgressions. So if you don't have a favorable view of what we once considered um, morally transgressible or immoral, 
then that will be the ultimate transgression. If you say, hey, look, what you did was wrong and you need to change uh, because you're going to keep doing wrong things, you'll be labeled a heretic and burned at the stake. Uh, and, and maybe even worse, uh, they may delight in the burning of heretics by the time such a state is created. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit about uh, Rome and what they used to do to Christians. Uh, a Roman candle is a Christian lit on fire, and they would use these Christians to light their games and ceremonies, uh, burning these people who were heretical towards Rome, essentially, by worshiping this uh, foreign god, the Christian god. And so, um, and, and it's been noted before in a wide variety of places that the um, what's happening now is sort of a it's likened to a radical, fundamentally religious uh, movement. It's it's more like a secular religion, uh, a religion which instead of value, valuing uh, morals and tradition and rituals, uh, it values um, the absence of all those things, and and then and ironically ritualizes them more and moralizes them. And turns them into creeds, and and, and has liturgical practices, and uh, has a, a whole doctrine, and in some cases has a hierarchy or succession of people in power. Uh, it, it, it's really turning into quite um, quite the faith, actually. And and again, I don't want to mean like I don't want to come across as catastrophic. I don't think anything like through self-help, like through reading, you know, how to win friends and influence people or the secret. I don't think you're going to be ipso facto bringing on the complete and utter downfall of our society. But I do think that, uh, you know, each time you give into one of these ideas, you sort of walk a bit further in that direction. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis once said that uh, hell is a place brought on gradually. The road to hell is soft underfoot with no landmarks. Right. And so the idea is that you can get to hell, you could destroy society, and it may be the easiest road you've ever walked on. And then the juxtaposition is that the road to heaven or the road to a um, more favorable society is narrow. It's difficult to walk. It's hard. It's uphill. You know, there are a lot of pitfalls. There are a lot of traps. There are a lot of people who are going to try and knock you off the road, you know, like... Um, to walk in the virtuous, uh, in the light of virtue and morality and ritual and, and all these other things that, you know, used to be considered to be um, things that would benefit society, uh, to walk in that direction is, um, it's just more difficult. There's more resistance there. Uh, whereas, like, if you want to do bad things, there's virtually no, like, it's easy, right? Like, it's easy for me to order pizza and eat the whole pizza. It's hard for me to eat a pre-measured amount of food that is not greasy, that has the proper amount of vitamins and nutrients in it. Like, that's very difficult. Uh, now, you could have arguments on why that's difficult, but never, you know, leaving off that, the point still stands that uh, to do the good thing or the, to do the healthy thing, uh, it will just be more difficult, you know. And likewise, if you want to change yourself, it's not easy to change yourself. It's not going to be easy uh, to get that self-improvement or self-development or turn into the type of person you want to be 
right? Like it, it's one of those things that's like, it's very difficult, difficult and, and it requires incremental changes. Like if you want, like if you're the type of person who reads self-help books and you want to be better and like you're trying to become like, I, I don't know what you're trying to become, but maybe you're trying to become a business owner or you're trying to get your PhD or whatever you're trying to do. Uh, the way to do it is not shortcutting it. It's not reading the four hour work week and then um, believing that you're going to, you know, wake up tomorrow and you're going to meditate and you're going to eat, you know, three ounces of rice and uh, half an egg and then you're going to run six miles and read 12 books. Like you're simply not going to do that by reading self-help books. It's not going to change you that drastically uh, and, and it likely won't change you at all. There's a a good bit of research that show that people um, are unlikely to change even in the face of death, you know, like in the case of like uh, alcohol addiction, smoking cessation, substance abuse, like there are, you know, people, people die all the time, even though they're told that if you continue behaving this way and doing these things or eating this type of food, you're going to die. And uh, many people do die. They don't change uh, even in the face of death. It really takes something drastic for you to change, like um, a more severe near-death experience. And sometimes even those experiences don't always cultivate the change that we'd like to see in our lives. Um, and and, 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 and I'm not trying to say never read a self-help book. There are a select few self-help books that are good. Most of them, if they're a bestseller, it's not that you can't get anything good out of them, but um, they're not going to help you with some of the other books that um, aren't as popular maybe. And some popular books, of course, do help. I'm not saying that you can delineate on the basis of popularity alone. Like, of course, popular and unpopular, they'll still help you. But for whatever reason, things that are widely accepted and widely read are done so because there's some sort of like impetus for good feelings. Like there's, they're, 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 um, it's more like a anesthetic puts you asleep. It's easy to digest. Things that are easy to digest typically are not, um, not going to produce the types of change that you want to see. You know, like, uh, people reading the secret uh, as far as i'm as far as i understand the secret it's a, it's a book about the law of attraction think good thoughts and good things will happen to you which is nonsense and it also happens to be one of the easiest things you can do you can say ah yes well i don't have to i don't have to worry about that exam because look i just have to think about how good i'm going to do on it and i'm going to do good on it there i you know i don't have the book on me i actually immediately chucked it in the bin after reading it because it was such nonsense. It was so unhelpful, you know, and uh, the CEO of my company I was working for bought everyone a copy of this book and they said it revolutionized his life and made him, you know, very successful, all yada, yada, yada. And it, it was just, it was utterly unhelpful, you know, and, and I think that many people who genuinely desperately want change, who want to be better, who want to get better jobs, support their family, who want to know more things, be more fit, um, you know, have more friends, all those things like they don't they're not going to come from a pop psych book. Uh, they're just they're not, you know, like you, you get those you, you get those lessons from real people, real circumstances. You get them from from books that make you feel uncomfortable, from ideas that are hard, from things that great against you, you know, like. A person is developed under immense pressure, you know, like you become what you are in the face of responsibility, pain, suffering, uh, struggle, strife, you know, all of that, like all of that is what what some people have deemed soul building or character building. You know, it's it's one of those things that's like it, it's central to the 
to the human will, essentially. Like, it, suffering is endemic to life. It's what makes you who you are to become, you know. And you can't avoid it by reading a self-help book. You can't avoid it by running away from it. You can't, there's no way around it. It's, it's inevitable. It's coming for you, you know. And you can turn your face to it, uh, away from it, and you can avoid thinking about it. But it's simply, it's going to come for you. You know, I read th loads and loads of therapy books about people who thought that, they would never suffer in their life. You know, the people who are who are most greatly affected by negative circumstances in their life are those who thought their lives would always be peachy keen, who thought their lives would never be touched by uh, malevolence or evil. And uh, so it's important to not wear those rose colored glasses because they'll, they'll uh, continually to live in delusion will not help you, you know, like it, it actually does the opposite of helping you because the moment you experience something traumatic which you will uh, it's pretty much guaranteed uh, it will affect you to a worse degree than if you did not wear those ro rose colored glasses and so like far from swallowing the pill of self-help and eroding your morals and your standards of living and your standards of self and virtue and and holding yourself lower and lower and less and less accountable. Like, uh, there's just, I, I don't see a lot of people preaching that, you know, I don't think that message sells very well. I don't think that you can wrap a bow on that particular bit of information and sell it to other people. People have to, uh, you know, like, I, I hope whoever's listening to this, you know, may sort of get that message and may, you may even agree with everything I've said up until this point. Uh, but it's hard to actualize it. It's hard to think, you know, whenever you're struggling that this is something that um, it may destroy you. You may get a brain tumor and die. Um, and that is tragic. Uh, and no one uh, living may know your story or may understand uh, the pain you went through or benefit from your insights uh, other than you. Uh, one of the books I'm reading right now, it's called Love's Executioner. It's by this legendary psychotherapist named Irvin, Irv Yalom. He worked at Stanford for a long time. I don't think he's practicing anymore now. I think he's like 90 years old. But he, he talks about uh, cosmic loneliness. Each of us are alone, essentially. Uh, everyone else uh, is a black box to us. You know, you can't get inside the feelings of anyone, no matter how close you are to them. You may feel like you are, but ultimately uh, you can't feel what they feel, see what they see, experience what they experience, or know what they know to the same degree in which they know it. And so um, no matter whether your circumstance will become public or understood by anyone else other than you, it's important for you to undergo it and for you to understand it. If you're suffering in silence alone, it's important for you to still be able to um, develop your soul through that process um, because your, your actions and who you are as a person are not externally validated. They, you have to be internally validated because of this idea of cosmic loneliness. Ultimately, no one will ever know uh, what you're experiencing or what you're thinking, even if you were to convey, even me conveying this message to you right now, you can't possibly understand what's going on in my head, uh, how I feel right now, what I'm uh, thinking. You could guess based off of what I'm talking, but I could be thinking about something completely different than what I'm talking about, you know? And so that, that uh, cosmic loneliness creeps in in, in many different ways and, and, and at every moment of our life, you know? 
and and it, that's what makes um, the development of the self and like your your own perception of the self more important than like an external perception of self you know like you can't get better for other people necessarily like they can be your motivation you can say i want to be better for my children for my wife for my parents like that you can say that you know and that's a good reason like it's a good reason to externalize your motivation sometimes but it's also important to make your motiv motivation transcendent uh, in my episode on logotherapy i talked about developing transcendent meaning or purpose or purpose which cannot be taken away from you so like if you want to undergo self-transformation uh, doing it for the purpose of gaining material wealth in the form of like faster car, bigger house, more money, like that may not be the best motivation. Like you may ultimately fail because the moment those things get taken away from you or, or become impossible for you to gain, all of a sudden you'll just slide right back into the pit of despair. And uh, you may not, you know, that will be its own journey of transformation. But you'll ultimately have regressed. Uh, and so it's important to transfix your motivation from the get-go, you know. Many re re religious people uh, hitch their, court, uh, their cart to um, the idea of uh, the imitation of Christ or the, the development of virtue as to be pleasing to God, to be pleasing to that which is goodness itself, you know. And like that's a good, that's that's a good motivation, like to be to be so good that goodness itself can say, well done. You know, that's 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 one motivation and that can't be taken away from you because you can be good at any in any circumstance. You can be good uh, when you're being bullied. You can be good when you have money, when you don't have money, when you have a job, when you don't have a job, uh, when you're married, when you're not married. You can strive to virtue in any circumstance. And that's important because that means your meaning or your purpose or your motivation can never be taken away from you. It's something which exi exists both outside of yourself and outside of time, space, any, any material destruction, like nothing can touch it. It's incorruptible. And it's important, like I had mentioned before, to have an incorruptible motivation. And, uh, and, and so long as your, your morals, your, your sense of self-improvement, your sense of self, all these, I, all these things that we've been talking about, like so long as you can transfix them outside of yourself and to something beyond yourself and beyond even anything material, like that that's a good that's a good way towards self-improvement you know and by doing that you can sort of stave off the inevitable destruction of our society again i, I don't mean to say that it's going to happen anytime soon but the more people realize that uh the more people um realize what's going on and the slide and shift in our morality and this this um disposition to shirk responsibility and to avoid self-examination uh, and self-critique and uh, self-improvement, you know, like the further we can get away from those ideas and the more people that accept this other idea of improvement, like real, moral, directed, like straight line progress, progress which can't be inverted to regression by simply uh, the flick of a wrist saying, ah, yes, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't really care to go in that direction anymore. I don't want a blue house. I want a greenhouse. Well, you can undo a whole society that way. You know, we don't, we don't want a society which favors, you know, uh, competency, virtue, uh, and, mora and, and morals. We want a society which uh, values 
uh, hedonistic comfort, pleasure, sensualization, like all that, like that would that would essentially turn back our society. Of course, a lot of our society is built around this hedonistic form of pleasure, this type of pleasure that just uh, just feels good, that's comfortable. A lot of our society is built around that, but the entire society is not built around that, thankfully. But we are walking steadily in that direction, as I've mentioned before. And so it's important that no matter who you are, where you are, what you do, that you find some external motivation that is non-material, um, that you can work towards. And it's important to be self-critical and to examine your thoughts, your motivations. Uh, it's important to improve yourself. And, and again, that, that only happens under immense pressure. There's no easy way. There's no shortcut. There's no one one size fits all boot. There's no uh, book you're gonna read that's uh, gonna you know instantly turn you into an angel. Uh, you, you there there's a fair bit of work ahead of each and every one of us. There's a lot of responsibility to assume and a lot of examination to undergo. So I, I think I've talked long enough and I've probably ranted a little too long actually, but. Uh, if you've made it this far, I really appreciate you listening. And if you found anything interesting here, uh, please let me know wherever you're listening to this. And so uh, I'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to watch this episode of Will Work for Purpose. If you found anything here interesting, you can always leave a comment below or email me at mosley at tweakingo.com. Uh, if you were watching this podcast on YouTube, you can find uh, audio versions of it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else major podcasts are found. Uh, so thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you in the next one.